News Network. Afghanistan, ISIS, child brides, COVID, vaccines, passports, your papers, please. It's all in the news. But has anyone heard how the audit in Arizona is going? No. Have you wondered why? What are we being distracted from? What are we not being told? The answer, the truth. Well, except here. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And here's Dan Newman. OMG, what have we not been told? What are we having hidden from us? How are we going to find out all of the truth about everything going on? There's only one way, folks. We've got to dive in and find the facts ourselves. We're going to help you here today because we're doing a lot of digging, a lot of reporting, and a lot of looking into contents of everything coming out of this government. Just let's cut to the chase real quickly and just tell you this, folks. The Biden administration is not what it is portraying to be from the top down. The president of the United States is either not running his administration or is getting a whole bunch of help and ideas and philosophies and here's what you do's and here's what you don't do's from somebody out there. He can't do it on his own, and he's not doing it alone. But that's a story for maybe another day. What we're going to look at this morning, first thing, is exactly what he is doing and what he has done as it pertains to the biggies, the infrastructure bill, the so-called bipartisan infrastructure bill, and that build back better thing, whatever you want to call it. It's a boondoggle, and it's hanging out there. But before we get into that, look back over your shoulder a bit towards what happened late Friday night. Folks, one of the most disturbing issues concerning the U.S. Congress has always been the abdicating of their responsibilities to read what was in the massive spending bills they passed without the members actually knowing what was included in those measures. It's a pork-filled so-called infrastructure bill, and it was passed late last Friday night. It's still today awaiting Biden's signature. It's the second bloated bill that is waiting in the wings for this one to be signed into law. Now remember this, we were told it was a $3.5 trillion package that was slightly scaled down. But lo and behold, after the theft of the governorship of Virginia by those evil Republicans, Pelosi and company, they decided to revert to the original version of this social infrastructure plan. It's actually not an infrastructure plan. They're calling it social infrastructure because they want to put everything that is on their wish list under the name of infrastructure. Biden calls it his Build Back Better plan. It's actually a budget reconciliation bill, which we're told is now closer to $5 trillion in total cost. That's what's ahead. We got the infrastructure bill behind us, right? Oh, it was, it was under $2 trillion, thank God. Republicans are demanding that the debate on the big kahuna be delayed until the CBO, you know, that's the Congressional Budget Office, that's who scores every piece of legislation, financial piece of legislation, 
and they're supposed to score it and give that news to members of Congress before even debate on any financial bill begins. And go figure, the Democrats don't want to wait until that happens. It could take weeks, but Pelosi has informed everyone it's going to be handled before Thanksgiving. So what's in the bill? I reached out to our Congressman Buddy Mike Johnson, 4th Congressional District here in Louisiana, and I asked if he had somehow in his office somewhere the contents, maybe a bullet point sheet of um, all the stuff that's in this this reconciliation, budget reconciliation, social infrastructure package, Build Back Better. It goes by all kind of names other than what it really is, which is a financial fiasco. And early this morning, in fact, right before we went on the air, I got a, a, a bullet point sheet of how the contents of the bill relate to just Louisiana. We'll get to a little bit of that later on if we can, but I want to go through the inner workings of all this stuff. How do you find out what's in these bills, folks? It's over 2,000 pages long. Well, thankfully, a Republican has worked with his staff to shed some light on some of the nastier items in this bill. It's Representative Jim Banks from South Carolina. He's the chairman of the Republican Study Committee, and his look-see details many of the most radical aspects of this $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill. Now, we're not talking about the one they passed Friday night. They're purposely conflating everything and calling it infrastructure. Although Democrats have not yet agreed to the final tenets of this pending bill, Americans can see the tentative details of the Democrats' marquee legislation. They played hide-the-ball with the bill text so as not to tip off the public as to what they're putting in their bills. Then they bring to the floor, tout some poll numbers, and scare their members into voting for it. So let's take a quick look-see at the Republican Study Committee's findings of some of the most egregious elements of this social infrastructure monster. So I tell you what we're going to do. There are 42 different elements that we are going to touch on. We're not going to go into the deep detail. You can, uh, after the show, sometime during the day, you can go to truthnewsnet.org and there's actually a story published today with all of the detail of these 42 points. The story title you go to is One Down and a Humongous One to Go. But let's just get right to it. Contents in this bill perpetuates labor shortage, continues welfare benefits without any work requirements for able-bodied adults without dependents at a time where there are 10.1 million job openings, more openings than there are people looking for work. And this bill continues federal subsidies for unemployment benefits. Commissions a climate police force. Democrats stepped $8 billion into the bill to commission a cabal of federally funded climate police. And they've even named it the Civilian Climate Corps. What are they going to do? They'll conduct progressive activism on taxpayer dimes. Pushes Green New Deal in our public schools. 
requirements in the bill requires funding for school construction to be used largely on enrollment diversity and Green New Deal agenda items. Fourth, it pushes Green New Deal in our universities. Democrats include a $10 billion environmental justice higher education slush fund to indoctrinate college students and advance Green New Deal policies. It forces faith-based child care providers out of business. The bill blocks the ability of many faith-based providers from participating in the child care system and will lead to many of their closures. I don't know any church of any considerable size in Shreveport, Bossier, and there are over 450 churches here. I don't know of a single one that doesn't provide child care for its constituents. This bill they're about to go start debating on, folks, it forces the faith-based child care providers out of business. And it hurts small and in-home daycares. It requires pre-K staff to have college degrees. It includes new incentives for illegal immigration. Illegal immigrants will be eligible to take advantage of Democrats' new free college entitlement, as well as be eligible for additional student aid and enhanced child tax credit. It includes legislative hull for Biden's vaccine mandates. It increases OSHA penalties on businesses that fail to implement the mandate, and it increases them up to $700,000 per violation and includes $2.6 billion in funding for the Department of Labor to increase enforcement of these penalties. It gives unions near total control of business. The bill includes insane prohibitions that would bind employers' hands in union disputes and dangerously tilt the balance of power, subjecting employers to penalties that exempt union bosses and officials. Among other things, the bill would prevent employers from permanently replacing striking workers. It coerces businesses to meet union boss demands by increasing Fair Labor Standards Act penalties by an astronomical 900%. It makes unions bigger and more powerful. The bill would subsidize union dues that would only serve to strengthen the influence of union bosses and not American workers. It pushes Democrats' wasteful and confusing school lunch agenda, a paltry $643 million for, among other things, procuring culturally appropriate foods. It furthers radical abortion agenda, does not include the Hyde Amendment, and would mandate taxpayers pay for abortions. It drives up costs on American utility bills, issues a punitive methane tax, includes a tax on natural gas up to $1,500 per ton that could cost the American economy up to $9.1 billion dollars and cost 90,000 Americans their jobs. It includes dangerous and deadly green energy mandate, effectively forces Americans to get 40% of their energy from wind, solar, and other unreliable forms of energy within eight years. Reliance on these energy sources has proven already to be deadly. It includes kickbacks 
for the left's green energy special interest network. $5 billion for, quote, environmental and climate justice block grants and another $100 billion in green energy special interest subsidies in loans and other carve-outs. It gives wealthy Americans tax credits to, wait a minute, they weren't supposed to get them, right? Well, it gives them $222 billion in green energy tax credits going to be given to those who can afford expensive electric vehicles and other green innovative products. Don't know what that details, but we have a hyperlink for all of these where you can click on the hyperlink and it takes you to a specific page and a section where these things that we're doing in bullet point are given detail with. It furthers Democrats' social justice agenda, includes equity initiatives throughout the bill, and in one instance, Democrats inserted equity language into a title which should have been focusing on the maintenance of the United States' cybersecurity efforts. Grants amnesty for millions of illegal immigrants. House Democrats have included in their reconciliation bill a plan to grant amnesty to about 8 million illegals at a cost of about $100 billion over 10 years that would largely be spent on welfare and other entitlements. Trillions more would be spent long-term on their Social Security and Medicare. It opens the border even wider than it is today. The bill would waive many grounds for immigration inadmissibility, including infection or lack of vaccination status during a pandemic, failure to attend removal proceedings in previous immigration cases, and the previous renouncement of American citizenship. DHS may also waive previous convictions for human trafficking, narcotic violations, and illegal voting. Pretty much, folks, they're going to let anybody in, doesn't matter what they've done in the past here or where they're coming from, not even including human or sex trafficking or trafficking of narcotics and even illegal voting when they were here before. It increases the number of visas. At least a quarter of a million family preference visas would be administered every year. It grants fast-track green cards for those seeking middle-class careers here. Language included in the bill exempts certain aliens from the annual green card statutory limits and has been described as a hidden pipeline for U.S. employers to flood even more cheap foreign graduates into millions of middle-class careers needed by American graduates. It includes pork for Nancy Pelosi. $200 million is earmarked for the Presidio Trust in Speaker Pelosi's congressional district. And we've done a story, a complete revelation in the past about the Presidio Trust, what it's all about, and how you and I have been funding hundreds of millions of dollars through the last decades just for the Presidio in San Francisco, which has nothing to do with American lives outside of Nancy Pelosi's district. It increases energy dependence on OPEC, on Russia, and on China. The bill prohibits several mineral and energy withdrawals. It overturns provisions included in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that authorized energy production in the Arctic 
and will result in 130,000 Americans losing their jobs and $440 billion in lost federal revenue. And the mineral withdrawals it prohibits would ironically include minerals necessary for their own renewable energy sources. It exacerbates the chip shortage. The bill would mandate the conversion of the entire federal vehicle fleet from internal combustion engines to electric engines at a time when there was a global microchip shortage and crippled supply chains. They want you to forget about all these facts. Democrats' feckless China bill is included. Concepts from the insanely weak Endless Frontier Act included, including $11 billion in research funding that will likely result in American intellectual property going uh, to China. It chases green energy pipe dreams. $264 million to the EPA to conduct research with left-wing environmental justice groups on how to transition away from fossil fuels. It fixes racist roads and bridges. Racist roads and bridges. I kid you not, in just a few moments, you're going to hear Pete Buttigieg, Secretary of Transportation, in yesterday's press briefing at the White House, and he explains racist roads and bridges. We'll get into those details, and you'll probably spit up your coffee if you're drinking it when we do. The bill adds nearly $4 billion in slush fund money that would help left-wing grassroots organizations that, among other things, want to tear down and rebuild or otherwise alter infrastructure that is deemed racist. Look at that building. Look at that bridge. Look at that tunnel. Oh, those railroad tracks there. They're racist. That airport you built out there, the feds built the runways and stuff. We got to tear that up. That's all racist. Punishes red states for failing to adopt Green New Deal provisions. Mandates consequences for conservative states that don't meet the radical left's green climate standards, while at the same time adding nearly $4 billion for community climate incentive grants for cooperating states. It includes new massive bankrupting entitlements like the new paid leave entitlement would mandate workers get uh, 12 weeks of paid leave. 12 weeks, folks. That's three months of paid leave and will cost half a trillion dollars over 10 years. This is according to the CBO. It would apply to those making up to half a million dollars a year. Who's going to pay for that? Oh, they say it's in the federal bill, right? Yeah, right. Taxpayers are going to pay for that. And how are they going to get it? They're going to tax employers. So the employers will be taxed more, and then they'll have to find somebody to fill the positions of those that if this bill passes, everybody's going to get three months off. It advances a totalitarian and paternalistic view of the federal government. It includes grants for organizations to treat individuals suffering from loneliness and social isolation. It further detaches individuals from employment and makes them more reliant on government handouts. 
The bill spends just under a trillion dollars on welfare through manipulating the tax code, not including the expansions of those Obama subsidies. Tax benefits, well, got them in there for the top 1%. The bill will possibly lift the SALT deduction cap, meaning many of the top 1% wealthiest Americans are going to pay less in taxes. Tax credits for wealthy donors who give to woke universities, and they name in the bill who the woke universities are. (laughs) The bill creates, and you can bet every Ivy League college is in there, (laughs) every one of them. The bill creates a new tax credit program that gives tax credits worth 40% of cash contributions that are made to university research programs. The bill expands the worst parts of Obamacare. Obamacare's job-killing employer mandate will become more severe, and it does so by adjusting the definition of affordable coverage to mean coverage that costs no more than 8.5% of income rather than the current law's 9.5% of income. It increases taxes on us all at every income level. Oh, there'll never be a a tax increase on anybody that makes $400,000 or under. That's not true. $2 trillion in tax hikes will fall on those who make under $400,000 a year. $2 trillion. And that, of course, is contrary to what the White House says. Individuals at all income levels will be affected, not even mentioning what is happening right now today. Inflation is technically taxes on us. We've done nothing wrong. We haven't changed anything as American citizens. It's our government that has. I paid $1.65 a gallon for a tank of gas on the day Joe Biden was elected president. At the same place yesterday, I paid $3 and a nickel from $1.65 to $3 and a nickel a gallon. That's government-inspired taxes. The bill lowers wages for working families. The corporate tax rate will increase by 5.5%. That means American companies are going to face one of the highest tax burdens on the planet. According to analysis, two-thirds of this tax hike will fall on lower and middle-income taxes. But it costs nothing. It costs us nothing. It's all paid for. They keep telling us that lie over and over and over. This government, any government, current or past, if they tell you it's not going to cost you anything and it's regarding something they're going to do, They're lying to you. It's never happened. Governments don't invest. You cannot physically invest something that belongs to someone else and call what you're doing an investment. It's spending, and it's spending tax money that hasn't even come into the government. They don't even have it. They're paying for all of this with one big IOU. And the IOU is signed the citizens of the United States of America. We owe it all. The bill penalizes marriage. 
the bill would permanently double the earned income tax credits marriage penalty on childless worker benefits. It imposes crushing taxes on small business, guts the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, small business deductions that reduce pass-through entity taxes to keep them comparable to taxes imposed on big corporations, as well as hammer small businesses that file as individual tax earners with the 39.6% rate and Obamacare's 3.8% tax on net investment income. It crushes family businesses and farms. The bill would impose a 25% capital gains rate and makes alterations to the death tax, including cutting the death tax exemption in half. So what does that mean? Your mom and dad, they started a, a family business 40, 50, 60 years ago. And it's grown. They started it really cheap, didn't have a lot of money but they provided goods and services that worked. A lot of people wanted it. They were able to grow it. Kids moved into the company. I can tell you, folks, I'm looking at that right now. I started a company 28 years ago in a spare bedroom of our house in Bossier City, Louisiana. Today, there's over 100 people employed by that company. And looking back through the years, There have been thousands of working Americans that have come through that company. Now, I promise you, today, that company is worth far more than it was when I started it 28 years ago. So, if everything was left just as it is right now, under this situation, my family members, if I died, right now there's a $500,000 increase in value protection in tax law. They're wanting to cut that in half. I can tell you this company is worth seven-figure dollars. You do the math. My family would have to sell the company just to pay the death tax. The bill violates Americans' financial privacy. $80 billion slush fund to hire a few IRS agents... Uh, 87,000 new ones, an army to carry out the Biden administration's plan to look at every a bank account, every one above a $600 balance or with more than $600 of transactions in a year. I don't, I never, since I was a teenager, I've never had an account that didn't have $600 of transactions in a year. This means every account, they'd be looking at it every day, legally. The bill increases out-of-pocket costs for those who rely on prescription drugs. The bill repeals the Trump-era rebate rule, which passes through rebates directly to consumers at the point of sale. They're just pulling that out, folks. The bill imports policies from countries with socialized medicine. The bill includes health care policies imported from systems in Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Japan, and the United Kingdom. All are countries that have government-run health care systems. The bill also has other lesser-known provisions that include two more. $5 million per year for the SBA, the Small Business Administration, for an entrepreneurial program for formerly incarcerated individuals. In other words, buddy, you're a great citizen. You know, I know you, you messed up and you, 
Oh, you stabbed that guy, and he lived. Thankfully, he lived. But here's what we're going to do. You talk about starting a business when you get out of jail 20 years after you attempted to murder somebody. And we know you've got lots of experience at running a business. We know you want to be a true entrepreneur, so we're going to give you about $500,000 to go start that business. That's exactly what's in this bill. Also, $2.5 billion for the Department of Justice to award competitive grants or contracts to local governments, to community-based organizations, and other groups to support intervention strategies to reduce community violence. I gave you 42 bullet points plus two lanyap, those last two. And in every one of those, when we give you the synopsis at the end of it, just like we do in our Saturday bullet points, there's a hyperlink with the page number in it. If you click on the hyperlink, it takes you to the page number in the bill so you can get all the goodies. Be honest, folks. Which of these 42 items, which among them, does the United States absolutely have to adopt to move forward successfully? Well, if you speak or listen to any Democrat member of Congress or even any of the talking heads in the media, every one of them, they'll tell you, every one of them, 42, and there's a whole bunch more we need, and believe me, there are far, far more than 42 in the 2,700-page bill. They'll tell you, oh, we got to have it. we got to do all this. Come on now. $4 billion is mandatory so that we can tear down and rebuild all items of infrastructure that are deemed racist. Each of these 42 bullets is enough to vote against the bill, each one of them. Throw them all in the bucket. It's mind-blowingly corrupt. We need to loudly oppose it. I could go on and on, railing against the stupidity of all who feel this bill is not only necessary, but is possible to even sustain financially. You may not know this, folks, but we don't have the capability to fund this bill even if it costs what they tell us it's going to cost. And you and I both know they never cost what they say it's going to cost. I would bet it would be double this at least. When has any piece of financial legislation ever proven to be at or near the congressional projections in dollars and cents? It's safe to say they double in size at least and are usually close to three or four times projections. I just thought of this. You know what's the most insane conclusion of this entire process? It's not that Democrats would try to shove this spending measure down our throats, just as they did last Friday night with that faux infrastructure bill. It's that about half of our elected representatives and senators are likely to vote to make this bill law. God help the United States of America. We certainly cannot be entrusted to do the right thing in this regard. Folks, somebody asked me yesterday, if, if they do this thing, will it drown us? Will it bankrupt America? I got to be honest with you. When I was asked that question, I think you know what bankruptcy is. It's when what you owe far exceeds what you have and you can't pay what you owe. 
Doesn't that sound like the United States of America today? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we looked at all of these things and let's just suppose for a moment we really needed them, every one of them, these 42 and more. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could say, you know what? Let's give it a try. We've got the money in the bank to do it. And so let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. Let's make this thing work. Wouldn't it be nice if we could ever do that? Is there a country, a single country on earth that operates their finances that way? And the answer is yes, there is. Switzerland does. Do you know that six years ago on a Tuesday afternoon, I was in Switzerland in Zurich when it happened. Unannounced, the Swiss government came forward after business hours and they had a press conference. Here's what they said they were going to do. They were going to no longer tie the value of the Swiss bank, uh, Swiss franc, which is their monetary, the money they do. Ours is dollars there or francs. The value of the Swiss franc after that date has not been pegged to the value of the euro, which is the United Kingdom's money, which operates almost exactly like the U.S. dollar. One euro They don't have somewhere hidden in a big bank vault one euro value of something that makes that one euro worth actually what they say it is. It's all pipe dream money, just like dollars and cents. When you hear the dollar goes down in value, that means it's no longer worth a dollar. Same thing with the Swiss franc, but here's the difference between what they did and where we are right now. They have enough gold the Swiss government has enough gold on deposit physically so that every Swiss franc that has been put in circulation is backed by $1 of gold that they have. As far as I know, that's the only country on the planet that can say that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could do that? It'll never happen, and you know why it'll never happen? Because idiots like the ones that want to shove this bill down our throats are the ones that are in control. And yes, you can tell anybody and everybody you know, Dan Newman said, they're idiots. Scariest part of that is Americans, knowing all of this, elected them and empowered them to do this kind of crud. And now back to John with the weather. Yes, Andy. Tonight, a big storm. Storm this! Get the soccer offer from Pizza Hut and Pepsi. With every two medium pan Super Supreme, you get a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free! Yes, a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free! Don't miss the Pizza Hut and Pepsi soccer offer. With every two medium pan Super Supreme, you get a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. What about the weather, Andy? Don't resist and call 19,000 now. Hi, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you. 
It's O Rewards Member Appreciation Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Stop in today and check out store-wide savings, plus earn double points on over 225 items. It's our way of saying thank you. If you're not already a member, sign up today during O Rewards Member Appreciation Month. It's fast, easy, and free. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. O, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. As the sum of each generation before it, the next generation Corvette stands alone. As the new standard of precision and performance, of engineering and technology, of everything that makes an icon an icon, and a Corvette a Corvette. There's only one Dan Newman. Anymore? Well, that just wouldn't be fair. I don't know about that. Speaking of Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, now Secretary of Transportation for the U.S. government, here's what he said yesterday regarding the rising cost of goods in spite of these facts, I'm going to let you hear directly from him as he comments about the good measures in this Build Back Better budget reconciliation bill. Here are the inflation numbers as of yesterday in the United States. What is inflation? It's, it's how much more everything costs than it did previously. So, since January 20th, this year, folks, January 20th, the day that the inauguration of Joe Biden happened, gasoline prices at the uh, across the country, this is an average, are up 43.3%. The average cost of a used car is up 24.4%. The average cost of a pound of bacon is up 19.3%. The price of beef up 17.6%. And the cost of eggs, a dozen eggs, is up 12.6%. Where'd you get those numbers, Dan? Well, they came from the Joe Biden Department of the Treasury. 43.3% more for a gallon of gas. Now, they tell us, oh, look what's happened under Joe Biden. Payrolls are up. Americans are making more money. Are you making 43.3% more or 24.4% more or 19.3% or 17.6% or 12.6% more? That would be enough for you to say, oh, it's okay for me to pay these prices for gas and used car and bacon and eggs and beef. It's okay. I've got the extra money because I'm making more. No. The raise that you got in your payroll... It was eaten up before you ever got that paycheck by increased cost. There's no plausible explanation for why it happened. So in this big, wonderful bill that's out there, Pete Buttigieg, he is all about everything in it because, of course, it's infrastructure. And he's the Secretary of Transportation. 
Even though none of the supply chain debacle, the transportation issues and bottlenecks that are contributing greatly to these inflation costs for these items we just talked about. And of course, he is the Secretary of Transportation, but when he was asked after he got back to work after his three months of paternity leave because he and his partner got a baby, who was sitting in for Pete? Nobody was, obviously, because nobody did anything to help the supply chain problems that we had. And when he was asked what the causes were, of course, he gave a perfectly plausible answer. The supply chain bottlenecks is solely because of the pandemic. COVID-19 is the evil one that's responsible for every bad thing that happens through government, including supply chain bottlenecks. In the press briefing yesterday in the White House, Mayor Pete got asked several things, but one just really stuck out to me. Secretary, Secretary Mayor Pete, um, could you give us um, the breakdown of the implementation of Justice 40 with the infrastructure package that's now passed and signed into law? And also, um, can you give us the construct of how you will deconstruct the racism that was built into the roadways that you talked to the Grio earlier when you broke that information with us? Can you talk to us about how that could be deconstructed? For sure, yeah. So the principle of Justice 40 is that at least 40% of the clean investments in this bill will go to benefit the communities that are overburdened overburdened and, and underserved. So part one of that is defining those those investments that are eligible, and that's a lot of it, and we're working to map out kind of program by program, mode by mode, uh, what would qualify. For example, if we're uh, buying clean buses, right, how do we make sure in terms of where those buses go but also looking at the business opportunity, the jobs that are going to be created, the businesses that, that uh, will have a chance to compete uh, for, for the business opportunities it creates. That, too, I think is a very important element of equity here that's in the spirit of Justice 40. And again, we have a lot of guidance and oversight from the White House since that's an administration-wide initiative. But we know that we've got to build our own internal uh, kind of ways of, of uh, aligning and defining that inside the administration. As to where we target those those dollars, you know, I, I'm still surprised that some people were surprised when I pointed to the fact that uh, if a highway was built for the purpose of di- dividing a white and a black neighborhood, or if an underpass was constructed such that a bus carrying mostly black and Puerto Rican kids uh, to a beach, or it would have been, uh, in New York was, was designed uh, too low for it to pass by, that that obviously reflects racism that went into those design choices. Did you get that? He actually said, it is factual, that at some point in our history, we know racism is behind us, it's back there, There's no question about that, but he said that whoever those are that were responsible for routing roads and highways and building buses, he used the example of in New York, you know, when they purposely built a bus that wouldn't go under the overpasses to take African-American people to the beaches. We've got to fix that. I got to tell you, this is the most insane thing I have heard come out of anybody's, well, maybe not the most, 
We've got a soundbite from Joe Biden from 2007 later in the show we're going to play you that eclipses what you just heard from uh, Mayor Pete. But nevertheless, the insanity of that is that he really believes it and that there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that believe it too. There is no evidence of it. Can you imagine a scenario in which anybody in government And he's talking about New York. Wait a minute. New York, that's a northeast state. New York City is a northeast city. And he just automatically said it like he knows it's factual. Whoever designed those streets, the Washington Tunnel. Wait a minute. Buses fit through the Washington Tunnel. I've been through it a bunch of times. I don't know of a tunnel in any city in the United States where there is is a city bus that won't fit through, but yet he uses that. That's like a talking point. Oh, we've got to be creative when we try to sell this to the American people and make them understand that it really did happen. Somebody in New York in the 1940s was so racist, they wanted to keep black people from being able to cross the street. And so because of that, guess what we got to do? We got to tear up the streets because there's built-in racism in that concrete and asphalt. We got to get rid of it. Can you believe somebody actually feels that way and said it? I can't imagine anybody believing that, and it's scary to me that there are people that believe that besides him. And so, put it in perspective of what he was doing. He was standing in front of the White House representatives for every news media outlet in the United States and some from around the world. And what did they do? They went back and they just parroted everything that he said verbatim. Here's the truth. Here's what we got to (laughs) do. Because there's so much, there's so much racism It has nothing to do with equality. It has to do with one thing and one thing only, what they call equity. And they want to replace across the nation, top to bottom, everything in our lives. They want to replace the equality that was endowed to us an unalienable right to equality for everyone. And they weren't given to us. those rights for equality. They were given to us by our creators, not our government. They want to seize all of that, take it back, and put equality, that whole equality thing, put it up on the shelf. And they're going to replace it with equity. And you know why? You know why that's such a big deal and so important? Because guess what? Equity is not endowed by our creator. It's given by our government And it's taken away by our government. They control the definition of equity. And it has nothing to do with what the real definition of equity is. People can adjust and determine and move the marks around on what is equitable and what isn't. It's an opinion-based philosophy. It's not anything remotely close 
to a solid truth that cannot be manipulated, as is equality. Equality is just like the truth. It lives in a world on its own. Nobody else lives in it. You can't change equality. You can't. And we were endowed with equality by our Creator, each and every one of us. So let's just move on. Do you know this infrastructure bill hadn't even been signed into law? They pushed. They were so frantic. They ran. They ran. They ran. We got to get it signed. We got to get it signed. They passed it late night on Friday, and they haven't even gotten it signed. Remember, it had already been passed in the Senate. Why haven't they gotten it signed? Well, Joe doesn't want to do it. He's delaying the signing in total deference to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And guess where Nancy is? She is leading a group of Democrats that have flown across the Atlantic to the climate summit in Glasgow, Scotland, where President Biden was last week, over the weekend. Did you hear how what a huge expense this whole thing has been to the United States taxpayers? Listen to this. The chain of vehicles to take all of those in the United States government that went with President Biden. There were 86 vehicles necessary in his entourage to get there. Think about housing them. Think about feeding them. 86 vehicles So what the heck is Nancy Pelosi and a contingent of Democrats that we're paying for? What are they doing there? Well, Nancy said, the climate crisis is the existential threat of our time, and America must continue to bring our boldest ambitions to the table to meet and beat our climate change goals. Pelosi delivered 21 additional Democrats to the summit, including Chairman Frank Poloni, a Democrat from New Jersey, and of course, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democrat from New York. While she's there, the Speaker is going to promote the green energy provisions in the infrastructure bill, even though Biden hadn't signed it yet. The President's schedule for the week ahead makes no mention of a signing ceremony for the bill, even after it passed on Friday night. That means the ceremony could be pushed off until next week when the House and the Speaker are back in session. Beat, oh Pete, he didn't share a signing date for the bill during that briefing yesterday. He was asked. Buttigieg, by the way, also joined the summit as one of 13 Biden's cabinet officials to travel to Glasgow. White House Deputy Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre also refused to share a date for the ceremony during the press briefing. I do not have a date, but it will be very, very soon. It was so important. They couldn't pass on that junket that you and I are paying for. By the way, do you know what this House Speaker has at her ready disposal for her transportation? It's the Air Force version of a G-7 which is a Gulf Stream. It's a $75 million jet that cost, cost to fly. Guess what it cost? Now, this is fuel 
prices before all this inflation started on fuel. When I had access to the cost per hour for different types of uh, private jets, that G7 cost $6,000 just to fly it, fuel. Think about going to Glasgow from Washington, D.C., and she took a bunch of people with her. Just think about that. You're paying for that. I just thought I'd make you feel good about all that today. Boy, everybody, I, every, you, they were running down the streets of Shreveport, Louisiana yesterday, screaming and hollering in glee. They got the infrastructure bill passed. Now we're going to have infrastructure. All these horrible streets, these roads, these railroad crossings, everything that it needs to be fixed, it's going to be done overnight. Yeah, right. You know who really is excited about it? Well, according to the Global Times, and if you don't know who the Global Times is, it's a newspaper. It's a state-run Chinese newspaper. And on Sunday, the Global Times was tremendously excited by the U.S. House of Representatives passing that $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. You know why? Because they think in China the U.S. will quickly realize it no longer has the manufacturing capacity to build the massive infrastructure projects without the help of the Chinese. The Global Times said it was an awkward reality that America's hollowed-out manufacturing sector no longer has the capacity to support once-in-a-generation infrastructure construction. So the Biden administration... What are they going to do? Joe's going to get on the phone with his friend who he said the other day, no, no, he's a business acquaintance. He's never been a friend. But of course, numerous times when he was campaigning, he said he had a great personal relationship with Xi Jinping. The Global, the global Times says Joe's going to have to get with Xi Jinping. The U.S. is going to have to turn to China, the only country that can meet our need for large amounts of industrial goods under such a grand infrastructure program. The paper went on to explain how Congress's massive infrastructure spending spree will inevitably increase America's trade deficit with China. It will obliterate import-export restrictions that were put in place to protect our national security, and it was put in place by Donald Trump. And finish off America's hope of rebuilding its industrial base. In 2020, China's infrastructure-related exports to us totaled about $295 billion, which accounted for about 63% of China's total exports to the U.S. That's according to a research report by China International Capital Corporation. Therefore, the expansion of U.S. infrastructure investment will inevitably lead to the increased imports from China. This outcome will only increase U.S. trade deficit with China. China's trade surplus with the U.S. reached $40.75 billion in October, showed customs data on Sunday. While the number was down from the monthly high of $42 billion recorded in September, it remains on a relatively high level despite U.S. attempts to narrow its trade deficit. With the passage of the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, the urgency for the U.S. to lift its tech 
export restrictions against China will increase. This is from the Global Times in their article on Sunday. This will allow the U.S. to assume its proper role as a supplier of computer chips and other high-tech components to China's mighty industrial sector. On the same day, the Global Times was applauding the bill as an opening for Chinese exports. Another Global Times editorial mocked the big spenders in the U.S. House for their feeble imitation. That's the term from the paper. Feeble imitation of China's centrally planned infrastructure projects. Two paragraphs that just laughed at us. The Global Times claimed U.S. political elites are lost in their pride and arrogance because they simply cannot accept that China is now the dominant industrial power in the world and is far better at building roads, bridges, railways, and other key infrastructure elements. Those editorials, those editors, they also laughed at American politicians for paying people not to work, using COVID subsidies and destroying its own supply chains with a port log jam. The U.S. has its advantages, but if it wants to be as competitive as China in some places, it should turn American people into people who are as diligent as Chinese and turn American officials into being as responsible and hardworking as their Chinese peers. The Global Times advised. That's what our biggest enemy and the company with which we do more trade than any other country on the planet. That's what they think about us. And you know what they're basing that on? Exactly what our elected members in D.C. of our government, they're basing it on exactly what they're doing, not what they're saying. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water. Vitamin water. Regular water. Vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. 
down. Oh, are we at the gas station? Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. <laughs> Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. You know, sometimes when things are going bad, it's just good to listen to a song every now and then. I used to love this song. I still love it. That was um, Taking It to the Streets by the Doobie Brothers. First album that the Doobie Brothers did after Michael McDonald, who is probably one of the greatest singers of all time. He's got the deep, deep, deep voice, and he plays amazing keyboards. Um, Anyway, I love music. I think you probably could tell that. Did you hear what happened over the weekend? The Federal Appeals Court, the Fifth Circuit Appeals Court in New Orleans, on Saturday had blocked the Biden administration's private employer COVID-19 vaccine mandate, said there may be constitutional issues with that requirement. Um, In the explanation, they wrote this, because the petitions give cause to believe There are grave statutory and constitutional issues with the mandate. The mandate is hereby stayed pending further action by this court. That came from a panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit in an order, a very brief order. Halt of the mandate, which was unveiled this week, is temporary as the case moves forward. So obviously at the White House they said, yes sir, yes ma'am, we're going to do exactly what The courts tell us to do. The federal courts, of course. So they're doing that, right? The White House is. They backed away. No, they didn't. They doubled down. Listen to this. Biden's White House has advised businesses, those ones with 100 or more employees, they said everybody's got to be vaccinated. Well, they have said, don't even think about what the courts said. Follow Biden's vaccine mandate despite the halt from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. People should not wait, White House Deputy Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre told reporters yesterday. They should continue to move forward and make sure they're getting their workplace vaccinated. Can you believe they're doing this in the face of the Federal Appeals Court in New Orleans, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals? Now, let, let me just stop for a moment here. And let's go back a couple of years. How many times and how long did you and I hear over and over and over again? It didn't matter which mainstream media outlet you turn to, whether newspaper, radio, or television. Um, Donald Trump wants to be a dictator, an authoritarian in office. We are not going to accept authoritarian rule. This is a representative republic a democratic country. The people are the bosses here, not people that live in the White House. We heard it over and over and over again. This guy, folks, is beyond an authoritarian. 
he is right on the edge of becoming an actual dictator. And this is the biggest thing that has popped up that verifies that's what this guy wants to be. He wants to be Adolf Hitler. He wants to be Vladimir Putin. He wants to be Xi Jinping. And he thinks he has the authorization of the people to go right there. This is evidence of that, folks. He thumbed his nose at the federal court system. That's what dictators do. In fact, what they do, and he would love to do it, Democrats, he already appointed a group of people to look at ways to pack the Supreme Court, to pack federal courts, for the White House to change the numbers of justices and judges in all of these courts, including the Supreme Court. Why? So for political purposes, Democrats could pack the Supreme Court with activist judges and undo the balance that is there now. He's trying to do that. And in every area like this, his vaccine mandate. Now, this particular one, we're not talking about over the federal employees. We're talking about every private company with 100 employees or more. He put out the mandate. He did it through OSHA. Every constitutional attorney that I've spoken to, everyone I've heard said what he's doing is unconstitutional. It cannot and it will not stand. But look at the damages that are potentially happening to people in the interim. I know personally people that have lost their jobs. They've lost their careers, especially in the healthcare industry, just because of what this man says, not because of what has been duly passed by our government, but because an authoritarian dictator that lives in this White House today decided to ignore the rule of law, ignore the Constitution, and do exactly what he says he wants to get done, and everybody's got to fall in line. Folks, this is the road that they said for four years Donald Trump was going down, yet there is not one example of any policy, of any executive order, on any action that Donald Trump took arbitrarily that even comes close to what Joe Biden has been doing since the day he became president. The latest craziness going on, he actually, his administration, he went overseas. He went to Glasgow, Scotland. And even when he was there, he reached out to OPEC. He reached out to Vladimir Putin. And he asked all of them to increase their oil production so that it would not cause the oil prices and the gas prices in the United States to go up anymore. This is the guy that on his first day in office, he lit the fuse that started the very thing that he's asking them to fix. This guy's an idiot. He has no clue. He is not in any way attached to reality. And he's thumbing his nose at the judiciary a co-equal branch to his. He doesn't have the authority to do it. I just, I just, I just cannot 
believe this. Now, let me tell you the latest on the jabbing that he is mandating that we continue. The effectiveness of all of the three COVID-19 vaccines that are available today, it's declined and it's declining more every day. You remember at the very beginning of it, he bragged about Tony Fauci. They bragged about the efficacy of the Pfizer vaccine, 97, 98, whatever it was. The other one down in the low 90s, the other one in the mid 90s. Guess what they are today? All three of them. They've fallen under 50% for two of them after six months. Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine dropped to 58% in September from 89.2% effectiveness in March. During the same time frame, Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine fell to 43.3% effective from 86.9%. Johnson & Johnson's shot declined to 13.1% from 86.4%. Dr. Stephen Hahn, who was head of the FDA during the final portion of the Trump administration, he said last year the agency wouldn't authorize COVID-19 vaccines that weren't at least 50% effective. The researchers also found the vaccine's protection against death waned after six months, particularly among older people. Instead of comparing the effectiveness in March and September, though, they used the data to pinpoint the effectiveness from July to October. Wonder why. For those 65 or older, the effectiveness against death was 75% for Moderna's, 70% for Pfizer's, and 52% effective for Johnson & Johnson. For younger folks, the effectiveness was higher, obviously. 84.3% for the Pfizer, 81.5% for Moderna, 73% for J&J. While early data showed high vaccine effectiveness against both infection and death, our results suggest vaccines are less effective in preventing infection associated with the Delta variant. So while the vaccinated over time faced a higher risk of getting infected with COVID or dying, the unvaxxed were still more likely to contract the illness or die from it. They're still saying that. And of course, they're saying that when almost in total, they're ignoring how effective is natural immunity. Researchers with the Public Health Institute, the University of Texas School of Public Health, and the Veterans Affairs Medical Center carried out this research. It was published in the Journal of Science. Researchers examined COVID-19 infections and death by vaccination status in 780,225 veterans between February 1 and October 1. They used data from the Department of Veterans Affairs, received funding from the Mercatus Center at George Mason University and the University of California Office of the President. Our study gives researchers, they said, our policymakers and others a strong basis for comparing the long-term effectiveness of COVID vaccines and a lens for making informed decisions around primary vaccination, booster shots, and other multiple layers of protection, including masking mandates, social distancing, testing, and other public health interventions to reduce the chance of spread.
Here's what's left out of all this, folks. What's left out is a constitutional right for all Americans to make the ultimate decisions for what's best for them medically, for their own health care. We have that right. It's that equality thing. It's that right that was endowed to each of us by our creator, not by our government. And the government has no authority to steal that from us. I'm 68 years old. What's the chance that I'm going to get COVID? I haven't already gotten it. I've taken no medication. I obviously have some measure of autoimmune natural immunity. So who's going to make the determination of whether or not I'm vaccinated? Right now, if I, uh, if I work for my own company, <laughs> 100 employees, it, j- just so you know this, the number is purposely under 100. So um, even though I'm not in hands-on operation, I can tell you the person and persons who are, I don't think they're going to mandate vaccines for those employees. But how many other companies, how many other CEOs and boards of directors and stockholders can't make that determination because of what this administration, what this president is doing, in spite of what the rule of law says, in spite of what the court says? Joe Biden thumbed his nose at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals and told employers to illegally, it would be illegal for any company to thumb their noses at what a court says. Do you know what the federal court system is all about? Do you know what their number one and only job is to do? Is to interpret how any law, any regulation that comes into the world that includes Americans, how it lines up with the United States Constitution. That's what their sole responsibility is. Joe Biden doesn't have that authority. The U.S. Congress doesn't have that authority. The court systems do. And the courts told this president on Saturday, hang on now, there's a problem there. What the Texas governor passed, which was a preventive message message that was sent to employers that says employers don't have to force employees to get vaccinated. In fact, the Texas governor, Texas has passed a law that says employees cannot be forced to take vaccines. That's what this is all about. That's what the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, they weighed in on. And what they weighed in on was when Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, signed that bill into law The Department of Justice, Biden's Department of Justice, filed a suit in federal court against Texas, and a judge somewhere said, wait a minute, you can't do that, Texas. Texas filed an appeal with the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans, and they said, hey, we're going to let this stand while this plays out because there are some potential constitutional issues in what the Department of Justice is trying to do, the Department of Justice, the President of the United States. 
And so do you think, I know anybody and everybody that's listening in today, I don't want to say everybody because I don't know who all's listening and I certainly don't know what everybody thinks and feels, but I would imagine a large percentage of people weighing in today, they, they side with the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in their opinion, which is, you know what, this may be unconstitutional and um, forcing people to take a vaccine with all of the iterations that are out there about the ineffectiveness of it and the report we just gave you shows it's not even effective half the time in some cases. And a lot of people are dying from the vaccination itself, 20,000 almost as of yesterday. So hang on there. What do people around you think about it all? Well, let me ask you this. What do people around you think about the job Joe Biden's doing? So what I did overnight, I said, you know what? I know what our polling agencies, Rasmussen and all of the other big polls here, and I like Rasmussen. I think they're really, really good. But, you know, that's a group of Americans and what they think. What are people that can probably, because they're not here in the United States and they're not Americans, maybe Australians, what do they think about Joe Biden and the job he's doing? So I looked into our friends down under at Sky News. Here's what their numbers say. Well, a new poll conducted by USA Today and Suffolk University has shown President Biden's approval rating continues to drop. Over 1,000 registered voters were called between November 3 to 5, and it found the Biden administration wasn't doing too well with voters. On whether voters approve or disapprove of the job Joe Biden has done as president, just 37.8% approve and 59% disapprove. VP Kamala Harris's approval is also dire. Just 27.8% approve and 51.2% disapprove, while 21% are undecided. The poll found that 46% think the president has done a worse job than expected, which included 16% of those who had voted for him. Interestingly, two-thirds of Americans, 64%, do not want the president to run for a second term in 2024. If an election took place on the day those were surveyed, voters said that they would vote for the Republican candidate over the Democratic one by 46% to 38%. The dire results come after the Biden administration has continued to see a decline in support in recent polls. Just last week, an NBC News poll found 71% of voters believe the United States is heading off on the wrong track. The numbers were compared to NBC's August poll, which found 63% believed the country was heading off on the wrong track. One of the more startling things to happen ahead of next year's midterm elections was last week's Virginia gubernatorial election. Virginia swung blue for the first time since 2009 when Republican candidate Glenn Youngkin beat out Democrat Terry McAuliffe. The election was the first time the Democrats have fronted voters in a major election since Joe Biden won the White House in 2020. It was a crucial election and considered a bellwether race heading into the midterms, which will have major ramifications for Joe Biden's presidency. If Virginia's election is a reflection of what's to come next year, the Democrats will lose control of both the House and Senate, which will mean Joe Biden will struggle to pass his agenda. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy last week said the Democrats are in line to lose as many seats as they did back in 2010 when Nancy Pelosi lost her speakership after the Republican Party won a majority in the House of Representatives. 
He called the Virginia election a wake-up call for Washington and if the Biden administration keeps pushing their social policies, it could be one of the biggest election losses for Democrats next year. Fox News contributor Joe Concha says the latest poll has seen the president drop more in his first year than any other leader since World War II. Joe Biden has shown no capacity, no interest in doing that, despite his poll numbers. Did you see? I mean, that is 21 points underwater. He has dropped more in his first year than any other president since World War II in terms of polling. Uh, so this is a big problem. And Kamala Harris at 28 percent approval. She's supposed to be the torchbearer if an 80 something year old <laughs> Joe Biden doesn't want to run in 2024 with those numbers. Uh, somebody warm up Gavin. Newsom, uh, you know, on the bench, or I don't know, Marianne Williamson, is she available? Pete Buttigieg? I mean, look at that. I mean, that is, I'm doing the math here, two plus 20 plus one, 23 points underwater. So, facts. Facts matter. And when you look at the facts and you talk to the American people, and what you hear out of these press briefings, if you if you tune in every day, or if you just catch the snippets after, I got to be honest with you, I don't listen, I haven't listened to an entire press briefing coming out of this White House, except maybe for one or two at the very beginning of the pandemic when Fauci was up there preaching to us and we were all breathlessly looking in and listening in to everything we could to find out what the heck in reality was going on and what we should and should not be doing. Other than that, folks, I just listened to snippets and I got to be honest with you. I can go online after the fact and I can find things and research things that I read for myself and for you without having to look at and listen to everything through a lens of mainstream media who refuse to just give us the news and let us determine the validity of what the news is telling us, what the real meanings are. That's what we do. There's something very salient that I go back to. I continue to go back to in the Bible. When you wonder what somebody is really about. How do you figure when you look at a politician, when you listen to a politician, when they're campaigning or even like now, all these politicians that are participating in the U.S. Congress and are part of the Biden administration or any other administration, how do you figure out who they really are and what they're really saying when they say something, what they really mean? And there is one really applicable scripture that says, and it describes exactly how we're to determine these things. What are they really saying? What do they really think? From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what's really down deep inside, if you listen to somebody, a guy or a girl, or God forbid, whatever you want to call somebody, if you really want to know what they believe and who they really, really are, just listen to what they say. And so digging back through and wondering about Joe Biden in the past, you know, he's not a newbie in D.C. He's been around for 50 years, almost 40 years in the U.S. Senate and then eight under Barack Obama's vice president. He's got a lot of stuff out there that he has said and that uh, positions he's taken on matters that really prove based upon biblical principles in that scripture I just quoted to you exactly who Joe Biden is. And something's happened this year that really points dramatically 
at really how, um, I don't want to say evil, but how unethically regarding things that he says and the things that he maintains are factual, how they're not. Very, very often they're not. And the big thing that happened earlier this year, and it's in his rearview mirror, and he would like for it to be in every American's rearview mirror, is the crazy withdrawal from Afghanistan that this president initiated. And that right now, folks, we know there are 100-plus Americans that are still in hiding in Afghanistan, hiding from the Taliban, when Joe Biden guaranteed every American would be pulled out before our military pulled out. And, of course, he said there was no plan by the Trump administration, ball-faced lie. There was a written plan. We grabbed it. We knew it. You knew it because we told you about it. And other people in former administration that were in office when this all happened that even met with the Taliban, met with the then civilian government of Afghanistan. And that was former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. There was a timeline agreement. It made perfect sense. There was a process agreement. And one of the big things was, you know, getting all of the Americans out of there. That was obviously the big one. But the other big one that just chokes me every time I think about it was we withdrew and left $82 billion worth of military hardware, primarily weaponry and bullets and shells and all kinds of active military paraphernalia. We left it over there. And, of course, what happened with all that? The Taliban, ISIS, they got it. We happened to run across a small little video, 45 seconds, from Joe Biden back in 2007. And he talked about the American pending withdrawal, when the Americans should pull out of Afghanistan, under what circumstances, and how should we do it. Listen to the wisdom of Joe Biden, the version from 2007. There's a lot at stake in how we end this war. It makes a big difference how we end this war. And it makes a big difference to tell the American people the truth about what our options are in ending this war. If tomorrow the order goes out from the president, I'm president of the United States, I issue an order, end the war today, begin to withdraw all American troops. It will take a year to get the American troops out. Do you hear me now? That's the truth. It will take a year to get them physically out. Now, if you leave all the equipment behind, you might be able to do it in seven months. And you leave those billions of dollars of weapons behind, I promise they're going to be used against your grandchild and mine someday. Those weapons he left behind, he prophesied in 2007, $82 billion of weaponry, military hardware, including all kinds of things, bombs, explosives, yada, yada, on and on and on. We left them behind. He prophesied himself that if we do that, those weapons are going to be used against our grandchildren and his grandchildren. Can you see the perfect storm that right now is brewing because of what he did and didn't do? 82 billion, weaponry, all kinds of aircraft. I'm talking about fighter helicopters, rockets. Can you see a scenario in which 
the United States of America just might somewhere, sometime, be attacked and people that die, Americans die, at the hands of our own military material. The show is better when you're a part of it. So be a part of it. Join Dan at 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Or online all the time at truthnewsnet.org. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the rescue. My heroes! M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Hi, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you. Conservative thought, not just talk, at TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. Before I forget about it, I want to remind you, we talked about Jennifer Ravane, that mom from a suburb of New Orleans whose 16-year-old son was mandatorily vaccinated at East Jefferson High School a couple of weeks ago. And uh, nobody had any permission, any parental permission for a minor her minor son to be vaccinated. Jennifer Ravane is her name. It's made national news. Uh, lawsuits high, uh, filed already against um, Oshner Medical System, which is the largest hospital chain in the state of Louisiana. Her attorney, Shelly Maturin, and Jennifer will be with us on Friday morning show here at TNN Live. There's a very big probability this is going to be taken nationwide, this lawsuit that is pending. And uh, to be quite honest with you folks, this is all going to end up at the United States Supreme Court. I hope that this first big one that we're going to be talking with Jennifer Ravain and her attorney Shelly Maturin, we're going to be talking to them about. I hope this is one that gets filed, it gets handled in the court, and it gets through with some kind of verdict brought and that it will be the one that we can fast pace through the appeal system in the courts to get to the United States Supreme Court quickly. Because folks, just based upon the little bits that we know about what's in these three vaccines, there's stuff in there that even the guys who invented it don't know what is going to actually happen to people from those. And you put that in the context of how this vaccine and the whole process was thrown together. The testing on human trials, etc., was cut way short in all of the adverse reactions. If you weren't with us yesterday, um, you didn't hear the new numbers about the adverse reactions from vaccines. Let me give them to you very quickly. This is through October 29th. This comes from the VAERS COVID Vaccine Adverse Events Reports from the CDC's own website. From January through October 29th, reported to the CDC, 18,078 deaths at the hands of vaccinations. 
88,910 hospitalizations, 95,954 urgent care calls, 133,973 doctor office visits for problems with vaccinations, 7,844 cases of anaphylaxis, Bell's palsy, 10,721 diagnosed cases, 2,786 miscarriages, 8,878 heart attacks, 11,449 cases of myocarditis and pericarditis, 28,112 permanently disabled people, and the numbers just go on and on. Thrombocytopenia, low blood, uh, platelet count, 4,123. Other life-threatening incidents, 20,111. 32,851 severe allergic reactions, 10,124 cases of shingles. People don't know what's in these things. And we're finding out more and more every day as more and more people were pushed and prodded and in many cases told get the vaccination, more and more people vaccinated, more and more adverse reactions. It's just not a good thing. It's just not a good thing. Man, we're already in our last half hour of the show today. I don't know how time flies like this. There are so many things, so many things that uh, we want to talk about. Um, And uh, I'm looking down a the stories and the incidents that we pulled up that I wanted to share thoughts with you on today. Um, Let's talk about academia. You know, academia is one sector of our society where we found a lot of the woke folks, a lot of the the people that have just become the purveyors of everything to go along with this wokeism, this brand new philosophy that has overtaken academia is one of the leading places. Mainstream media is another source. Hundreds of college professors have been pleading to join a new university that's dedicated to, guess what, free speech. They want out of where they are now. Hundreds of college professors already have reached out and said, we want to be a part of it. A founding faculty member reported this yesterday. The University of Austin, a newly founded college announced on Barry Weiss's substack on Monday, is committed to freedom of inquiry, freedom of conscience, and civil discourse, according to the school's website, the University of Austin. You need to check that out. Its primary founders are vocal critics of the direction that traditional academic institutions have taken. One fellow even said, I'm caught In an insane asylum, everybody's gone crazy. I'll work for half. (laughs) That's a founding faculty fellow and former Portland State University professor Peter Boghashian. He said in an exclusive interview, they're desperate to get out. They can't stand the illiberalism. Not liberalism, but illiberalism. They can't stand the sensory us-ness. They can't stand the diversity statements, he said. They can't stand pretending to believe something that not only do they not believe, they just know it's false, but they can't do anything about it lest they receive accusations of bigotry bigotry or discrimination. He said the new school is not conservative. The purpose of the university, it's based upon free speech, free inquiry, the open exchange of ideas. 
It's an on-ground campus. This has people from all over the intellectual, political, moral spectrum, he said. When I say intellectual spectrum, I mean they publish different things, scholarly outlooks, different episiomologies, different ways to approach problems. And it's needed because our institutions now have been hijacked by maniacs. It's not liberals, he said, who have taken over the institutions. It's authoritarians who have taken over the institutions, traditional academic institutions. The University of Austin is seeking accreditation and isn't currently offering any degrees. Bogashian said the process takes time and called the first courses pilot uh, programs. We're done waiting for the legacy universities to write themselves. That comes from University of Austin President Pano Canilos. He wrote that in an article posted in Barry Weiss's newsletter, And So We Are Building Anew. It's a private, nonprofit institution sponsored by Cicero Research, University of Austin. The university will begin offering master's programs fall of 2022 and plans to launch an undergraduate college in 2024. I hadn't heard anything about this. And I think maybe after you heard what it was described as being, you understand why. Mainstream media, they don't want to talk about it because it's all in their faces. Meanwhile, other news. Newsweek Deputy Opinion Editor Bacha Ungersargon took aim at white liberals and also liberal media elites for weaponizing wokeness. This was on a CNN sit-down show on Sunday. Ungar Sargon, who recently wrote a book called Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy, criticized what she called the Great Awakening, a trend she dated back to 2015. What we saw was white liberals starting to have more extreme views on race than ever people of color the people of color that they're advocating on behalf of. And she's talking to Brian Stelter, who is very, very very little in any way a journalist on CNN. Those white liberals, she said, started to push for radical agenda items like defunding the police, while a 2020 Gallup poll found that 81% of black Americans opposed that uprooting of law enforcement. What she discovered in her research on wokeness is that white affluent liberals are, quote, using the pain of African Americans in order to withdraw from the common good and abandon the working class of all races. She also addressed the woke media singling out the New York Times, which she referred to as the former paper of record for making personnel decisions that too often bow to the pressures of the online mob. When she said that, Stelter attempted to defend the younger liberal employees who he said were trying to create a more perfect newsroom and a more perfect union, but she argued too many outlets were engaging in a silencing of debate. And of course, she mentioned all of the stuff that's going on now and pointing to that as being a sign of these crazy, woke people and what they are doing to the news world and what they're doing to the information world. And just when you think it can't get any worse, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Wow. 
So what else is out there, folks? Well, have you heard about Kyle Rittenhouse? Do you remember the name? Well, Kyle Rittenhouse is on trial for murder. He was the young man who was in Kenosha, Wisconsin at one of those riots, and he actually came to the riot carrying a gun, and he shot some people. And he's on trial. Mainstream media won't cover the trial because it looks like some of the things that Kyle Rittenhouse claimed after he was arrested and mainstream media, they just roasted him for days and days, weeks and weeks, and ever since, Kyle Rittenhouse had to be a white supremacist. He was walking around the streets of Kenosha, Wisconsin, looking for people he could shoot and kill. Well, there's some information coming out of his trial as they're in the second week. Listen to this report. Right now, the second week in the murder trial of Kyle Rittenhouse is currently underway. In fact, just moments ago, the jury heard emotional testimony from a man who was shot by Rittenhouse the night of that attack in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Here's NBC News correspondent Gabe Gutierrez. Aaron and Morgan, good afternoon. A critical piece of testimony today in this courthouse behind me, Gage Grosskreutz, the man that Kyle Rittenhouse shot and wounded during those demonstrations last summer following the police shooting of Jacob Blake here in Kenosha is now on the witness stand. He is describing his initial interactions with Kyle Rittenhouse that night. Now, importantly, he is telling uh, the prosecution that he brought his own uh, weapon to the demonstrations, that he came down here as a medic. He said that his uh, permit to carry that gun uh, was expired, and he could not recall whether it was an actual bullet in the chamber. But he says when he first saw Kyle Rittenhouse at some point, he, he believed him to be an active shooter. He does say that he approached Rittenhouse, and that is something that the defense will likely tear into during cross-examination, trying to paint him as the aggressor. What I want to point out with this is you just heard that first segment. This is a NB, uh, an NBC news cast. These are NBC people that are telling this story from the trial. And he was talking about that man who Rittenhouse shot, Gage Crosskretz. And Gage Crosskretz is on the witness stand. And you heard what they said that Grosskreutz said, that he couldn't remember if there was a gun, uh, excuse me, if there was a bullet in his gun when he brought it. It's kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I don't know. And I'm not too clear. Um, my uh, right to carry permit had it expired, yada, yada, yada. I'm going to let you listen to the rest of this, and then I'm going to give you the real story that goes along with what this man testified to yesterday. And Aaron and Morgan, this is the central question of this case. Did Kyle Rittenhouse act in self-defense? That is what his attorneys are arguing. But last week, the prosecution lay, be, began to lay out its case, playing about a dozen videos or so from different angles about Rittenhouse's interaction with another man, Joseph Rosenbaum, the first that he shot. Rosenbaum uh, was killed, uh, but Rittenhouse is claiming again that he acted in self-defense, the prosecution trying to convince the jury that it was a Rittenhouse who was looking for trouble and drawn to chaos, as they put it, like a moth to a flame. Now, the prosecution is expected to rest its case potentially as early as perhaps tomorrow. Then it will be the defense's turn, and Rittenhouse's attorneys have indicated that he will testify 
himself. Aaron Morgan, back to you. Now, you can't get anything out of that story, but this guy, Rittenhouse, he's an evil dude. Young guy, he obviously carried a rifle, a loaded rifle with him, and shot people. And uh, somebody died. Well, you want to hear the real part of the guy that got shot, what he had to say, Gage Grosskretz? The protester who was wounded by Kyle Rittenhouse during that August 2020 social justice protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin, acknowledged in court yesterday, that would be Gage Grosskretz, he acknowledged in court yesterday that he pointed his gun at Rittenhouse and moved toward Rittenhouse before Rittenhouse shot him. During cross-exam, Gage Grosskretz, who was shot in the bicep, was asked by Rittenhouse's defense team, it wasn't until you pointed your gun at him, advanced on him, that he fired, right? Grosskretz replied, and this is exactly what he said, correct. During earlier questioning from the prosecution, he said he had his hands raised as he closed in on Rittenhouse on the night of August 25th following the police shooting of Jacob Blake, who was a black man, in the city of Kenosha. Prosecutor Thomas Binger asked Grosskreutz why he didn't shoot first. That's not the kind of person that I am, the 27-year-old said. That's not why I was out there. It's not who I am, and definitely not somebody I would want to become. Rittenhouse is 18. He's charged with fatally shooting Joseph Rosenbaum, age 36, and Anthony Huber, 26, then with wounding Grosskretz. Huber, 26, is seen on bystander video hitting Rittenhouse with a skateboard for Bohr he was shot. A witness testified last week that Rosenbaum lunged at Rittenhouse before being shot. So, all of this, as you heard that NBC News crew, and then you heard and what you've heard going forward towards his trial, Rittenhouse was a white supremacist that was looking for people to shoot. But this guy told the court yesterday, the guy that he shot, the guy finally admitted that he pointed his gun at Rittenhouse and advanced toward Rittenhouse when he was shot. Now, let me ask you this. I don't care who you are. You're on the street. You're anywhere. You're at the park. You're a concealed carry permit holder. And you've got a gun and something happens in the park. There's chaos. People are hitting each other, screaming. You hear gunshots or whatever. And you turn around and look, and there's a guy walking towards you with a rifle in his hands pointing at you. Now, let me ask you this. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm a guy from the South. Doesn't really matter where I'm from, but I am a concealed carry permit holder. I have been for as long as they've had it available in the state of Louisiana. Have I ever had to use my gun? Thankfully, no. But a couple of times I felt like I was in a situation where that might would happen. And I sure was glad that I had it with me just in case I needed to use it. I'm so thankful that I never did. But in this case, Rittenhouse, what he did fits the exact definition 
of self-defense in state and federal law. This guy was walking towards him with a rifle pointed at him, and he shot him. And then the other guy, one of them that got shot, a witness testified in the court, the guy that he shot picked up a skateboard and beat him with it. (laughs) I guess in la-la world, you're supposed to when somebody, and folks, I had a skateboard when I was a kid, and it was pretty big and heavy. You beat somebody with a skateboard, you want to get back. You want to defend yourself in the context of being a, uh, a riot, you think? But sometimes the truth doesn't matter. Sometimes it's only the emotional. The emotion, what people want something to be, not what it really is. The emotional definition or the defining of circumstances is all that matters. And everybody else is supposed to think just like you. After all, even though AOC, with what I'm about to say, would say, I'm an old person, the woke society, that's not the way We function now, folks. Everything is built on perception. Nothing is built on or based on reality. You do whatever you want to do simply because it's okay because you want to do it. Seriously. Here's a little tidbit of news you're not going to hear anywhere else, or I haven't yet. You know that governor's race that was decided, we are told, last Tuesday night in New Jersey? Chris Murphy, the incumbent, the Democrat, he defeated, roundly defeated, Jack Citarelli, who was a Republican and who challenged Phil Murphy. Well, guess what? Yesterday comes out, there's a statement released that Murphy is leading the election by 2.6% by over 66,000 in the vote. But guess what? There are more, we are told now, There are more than 70,000 provisional ballots that have yet to be counted and an unknown number of vote-by-mail ballots that were still being received legally yesterday afternoon, which when fully tallied may reduce the margin for Murphy enough to warrant a full recount. That story doesn't play well in mainstream media, doesn't play well in Democrats' circles, So you didn't hear anything about that story, but it's out there and it's a possibility that Murphy may go down. Another very interesting thing popped up overnight that I saw and I I wanted to make sure I shared this with you. In the context of everything we're watching and hearing and seeing every day in politics across the nation, a lot of people out there, a lot of people front and center in front of television cameras and interviews on newscast over and over, every day, every night. Of all those people that you see and watch and listen to, who do you think would be considered to be the most popular politician in Texas? Now, when I say that, I'm throwing in everybody, even the national-level people, like President Biden, like Kamala Harris, like anybody else that's in national politics, but specifically those people, national or at the state level, who are popular in the state of Texas. A poll was taken, and guess who got the 
the, the nod. Ted Cruz. According to a Monday University of Texas, Texas Tech poll, Ted Cruz is the most popular politician in Texas. Special advisor to Cruz, a guy named Steve Guest, said the senator is proud to fight for Texans against the radical policies of this administration, which has advocated for amnesty, paying illegal aliens nearly half a million dollars each after they entered the country illegally during the Trump administration. For 10 months, Biden and Harris have been pushing an agenda that hurts the people of Texas and the entire country, he said. Senator Cruz is proud to lead the fight to pull this country back from the edge of the abyss. I thought that was a story that would be maybe a bright spot in your heart. But since we're on the subject of immigration and uh, illegal immigration, very quietly, no trumpeting of this fact, guess what the administration has done now? The Biden administration has enacted a new release policy for these illegal immigrants, which is going to grant parole status in the two busiest Southwest Border Patrol sectors. And they've even named the program. It's known as Parole Plus ATD, which means Alternatives to Detention. It will allow agents in the Rio Grande Valley and the Del Rio to swiftly release migrants and divert them from overcrowded detention centers. The policy document was authored by Raul Ortiz, Chief of U.S. Border Patrol. It's dated November 2nd. It was provided by a source within the Department of Homeland Security, not authorized to speak to the media. They've not released this. And I think you'll understand why. The document provides guidance to Border Patrol Chief Patrol agents outlining conditions for parole and release across the U.S. The process bypasses the placement of migrants into formal removal proceedings through the issuance of a notice to appear and the scheduling of an immigration hearing. Under the protocol, released migrants are to report to ICE within 15 days for the issuance of this notice to appear. The source says the Biden administration is placing more thought and more time into methods to release migrants into the U.S. rather than expanding options for removal. Once again, I talked about this president being an authoritarian, being a dictator wannabe. Don't listen to what any of us say. Just look and watch what's happening. Make your own determination, folks. Joe Biden doesn't have the authority to violate immigration laws that were duly passed by the United States Congress. Some of them were passed when he was in the Congress as a U.S. Senator. He does not have the authority to thumb his nose at the law and allow anybody that comes to the United States illegally, allow them to stay. There is no provision in federal immigration law that gives this president or any person authority to decide who to let stay that came in illegally. There are very specific penalties that are laid out in federal law for all of those who enter the nation without doing so legally. 
today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan high efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Carb up with Yakisoba. The Noodle Masters. No matter what stage of life you're in, we have the perfect noodles for you. From birthday noodles to wedding noodles, all the way to those most final of noodles. Every occasion has a noodle at Yakisoba, so experience something different. Yakisoba. It literally means fried noodles. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer. of important things and um, I got to be honest with you I'm looking at our schedule for stories and topics and things that we we talk to sound pieces that we give to you to listen and based upon the normal timing for content we didn't get through 50% of what we had for you today that are all each every one of them is very important and I apologize for that. Some of them will carry over. We'll be able to do that. Some of them won't be timely. But there are a couple of them. You know, we don't just read the newspaper and report to you exactly what the newspaper or what news sites say. We dig, and we get a whole lot of things on our own that you don't you don't find, you don't see. You may hear a perspective like we just told you. You heard that NBC News team talking about Kyle Rittenhouse and uh, his trial the way it was going, but the facts say exactly opposite of what they were intimating in their news report. That's the kind of stuff that every American doesn't have access to, but everyone needs to have. Well, it's a wrap on Tuesday. Thank you for being here. I want you to have a great Tuesday, a great Tuesday evening. Be back with us at 9 a.m. short tomorrow morning here at TNN Live. We'll see you then. Suddenly appear Every time You are near Just like me They long to be Close to you Why
do stars fall down from the sky every time you walk by just like me they long to be close to you on the day that you Decided to create a dream come true So they sprinkle moon dust in your hair And gold starlight in your eyes are blue That is why all the girls in town Follow you all around Just like Close to you. Ah, 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 close to you. 